Welcome to Popular Cultural Cherry. My name is Lawin and I am your host. In this podcast, we give you an outsider's perspective about European life, culture, and pretty much anything that is connected to this continent. So get ready to learn something new in a light and entertaining way. So welcome back everyone to Popular Cultural Cherry. Today we're with Emmanuel Bueta. He's actually the partner of Pau, who was on the episode last week. If you listen to the episode, they started a company in the Netherlands, but prior to that, they were already friends and actually um, co-founders of a startup in Singapore. So the journey started in the Philippines, made its way to Singapore, and now Uh, if you listen to the last episode, they actually got funding from a Dutch venture capital company to fund their idea. And yeah, so so today we have Emmanuel. He'll continue where Pau left off. So Emmanuel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for, for spending your Sunday morning with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So last time, Pau spoke about the opportunity uh, that you guys got from the Netherlands. Maybe we can we can continue where... He left off. Maybe you can tell us about, you know, what made this opportunity in the Netherlands so exciting for you. Um, were there also actually other opportunities in other countries to start your business or was it solely in the Netherlands? Sure. The Dutch opportunity, it actually happened when we were least expecting it. So during this time, me and my co-founder, we were doing other stuff. I was actually teaching computer science then while he was working with another fintech. And somehow the Dutch company found us and emailed us to apply to their uh, program. So it came out of nowhere, but suddenly, okay, let's just try. So we applied to it, and a week or two later, we had Skype calls, and then a week after that, they told us, okay, you're approved, fly to Amsterdam now. (laughs) Seriously, it's that fast? Yes, yes. It was all within a span of a month. So you can imagine this was in the middle of a school year as well. So I was teaching computer science. I had to quit teaching. And tell the principal of the school that, hey, I might need to quit because I had this opportunity. I need to fly to Amsterdam and so on. So they were very understanding and they uh, supported it. But yeah, it was that quick. And we even had to get our visas and all the paperwork within a week. But thankfully, the partners we had in uh, the Netherlands, they were very helpful. And we got everything done in a week and we flew out within that week. Amazing. So for everyone else who doesn't know, actually, for us Filipinos, just to be able to visit Europe as a tourist, we need visas. So it's actually quite, it's really fast, the whole process of getting everything approved in a month's time. Because I remember when I first went to Europe, I needed to apply for a tourist visa, also in the Dutch embassy. And maybe it took around a month or maybe law, two months just to get the visa approved, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they had uh, connections with the government, a uh, company we worked with. So they actually even called the embassies and tried to grease the wheels in order to put us in front of the queue. I mean, that makes sense, obviously, if, they're, if they have connections. So you were teaching computer science in a high school. And then, and what did you tell your, your students? Did you tell them that, oh, actually, I'm going to start my own company in the Netherlands? Well, they already knew that I was uh, doing a startup on the side. 
So yeah, uh, I think yeah because I was also an advisor, so I had an advisory class. So we sometimes get to talk about this. So they already know what I was doing on the side, but they were surprised when I told them that I had to do this full time and leave. So yeah, we had some goodbye <laughs> uh, activities and lots of tears. <laughs> Oh, seriously? They were that attached to you? And me with them. <laughs> oh, you with them. Uh, yeah. Hopefully there are no videos, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's typically the perception of you know high school students in the Philippines towards entrepreneurs? Because if I kind of remember my... When I was in high school, it was just starting. You know, you hear about... Well, Facebook wasn't there yet, but you hear a little bit about some entrepreneurs. But it's not... It wasn't that big of a thing it wasn't that cool but maybe you can exp- you can share your experience i think the high school students in the philippines now are very into the scene now uh-huh. actually funny thing is some of my students three of them yeah me and my co-founder we've already met them before in a startup event and they were competitors of us wow you're you're ex-students no so we met them before and became competitors of us so we were uh, pitching our startup they were pitching their startup and then a few years later, when I started teaching in the school, they were my students. So they were young. They're so young. Yes, <laughs> very young. So that's how uh, into the scene the, these high school students are. That's crazy. I can't even imagine like being in high school and trying to start my own startup. And you can imagine how awkward that was during our first <laughs> meeting. That hey, I know you from that event, and we were competitors during that event. But now I am teaching you, so yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> I'm a master now. <laughs> but if that if they're that good, they already have some ideas, and they you know they're already in the scene. Would you tell them like, okay, it's important for you to finish, or would you rather tell them you know just do your startup because you already have an idea? Yeah, I wouldn't want to tell anyone to stop their schooling to do startup. Well, one thing, I think uh, the high school I was teaching in, uh, it was a special science high school. So they were, quote unquote, already gifted in that sense. They were smarter than uh, the usual high school students. But secondly, I think this, but I think for me, this is kind of survivorship bias. Whenever people say that, hey, Mark Zuckerberg did drop out of college to do his startup, uh, Bill Gates didn't finish, and so on. So they were choosing this special entrepreneurs as the use case that I dropped, so I will do my startup. But for every person, for every Bill Gates, there are other people who drop out and try to do a startup that failed. Yeah. These guys are like the one in a million, right? And these people who didn't finish their study, now they don't have anything to, as a backup. So I don't think that's a good idea. So if you have a good idea, you can still do your startup and do your school. That's not a binary choice. Obviously, for the young guys listening to this out there, stay in school. At least high school. Finish high school at least. (laughs) (laughs) Stay in school. Stay in school. Um, so, So let's go a bit back to this whole experience of yours. So you get the okay from this company to actually fly to the Netherlands. And you said you you went through this process, right? Um, What was the process actually like? Did you have to submit some, I don't know, some paperwork or? Yeah, so uh, what the visa we got essentially is uh, called a startup visa. So it's, as the name implies, it's for uh, foreign uh, born startups that wants to try their hand in doing the startup in the Netherlands. So it's only for one year. Okay. So uh, in order to get it, you need to have a facilitator. 
So these are uh, companies approved by the government, authorized by the government to choose and validate some startups. So they can both be private or public. So private institutions like the investors we had. So the government gave their go-ahead to this uh, private institution to find startups and bring them to the Netherlands. But there are also uh, public institutions that essentially is promoting entrepreneurship in their region. So if you have one of these facilitators that approves you, actually quite easy to apply for the visa now. We essentially just to fill out, uh, I think, around a 10-page form of basic information and just submit it. In terms of cost, I think we just had to pay around 300 euros per visa. And yeah, in terms of requirements, there's no difficult requirements that we had to do. It was quite straightforward. I would have thought that it would you would need a lot more. So did you actually need to submit, you know, projections of your financials or um, your, at least show them like a minimum viable product? No, no. Nothing? Nothing. I think that's the purpose of the facilitator. The facilitators, if they see that they, you have potential, they say to the government that, hey, we see this startup has potential, let's give them a visa. Let's give them a year, right? Yeah. So it depends on the facilitator maybe on uh, how they will check, how they will approve you. But I think because the one we got, uh, Rockstar, yeah. they are really into our early stage uh, companies. So you don't need to have an MVP. You don't. Some of the uh, companies we bet there in the same program, they essentially got in with just a pitch deck. With just a PowerPoint slide. So, wow. Yes. So it's really more about how are you able to convince the facilitator that you have something and that you can build something. And if you're able to do that via MVP or via just being a good salesperson, you can get a, a startup visa. So how were you able to do it actually? Like what, what was the what was the main point that you know made you different from your competitors? And what was like that selling point that that this company the Netherlands said, okay, we want them to fly in in a month? I think uh for our case, we had some MVPs. So uh, as I mentioned, we were already doing some of our stuff in the Philippines then. So we built some small-scale MVPs and run some uh, pilots. So at least we have that to prove that we have something, we are doing something, we understand what we're doing and so on. So I think that helped us out a lot. But yeah, I don't know what else they saw in us, but at least I think we have a good pitch deck and we have a good (laughs) (laughs) presentation as well. Now, you guys are pretty smooth talkers, so I've spoken to Pau as well. But, you know, I was watching this series about startups recently and it was like said there that when you invest in a startup you actually invest in the people and not so much on the product so maybe maybe they saw something in you guys when they spoke to you hopefully (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so 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 now you get this visa and how long actually have you guys been um in the netherlands with with the startup visa, or has that expired already? So, uh, as I mentioned, the startup visa is only good for one year. So, after one year, you have to apply. So, uh, what we did is essentially we applied for a change in the visa. So, from a startup visa, after one year, we applied for an entrepreneurship visa. So, there's an entrepreneur visa, but now uh, you need to show that you are able to have some revenue and that you have a company and it's going and so on. So you have one year to build that. And if you are able to show that, you can now get an entrepreneur uh, visa, which I think is valid for 
two years, I think, before you need to renew it again. I guess you have that one year to build, you know, to get the legal requirements done, mm. to actually found your company, to incorporate it, and uh, actually to actually have customers. Yeah, I think it's different from case to case. So right. uh, we talked to uh, another founder that had a similar situation to us that started with a startup visa and then applied for an entrepreneur visa you know, when we were trying to apply for it. And in his case, he wasn't able to show that he was uh, getting revenues yet. And he wasn't able to show that he is getting enough salary yet. But uh, he was still able to get the entrepreneurship visa based on the maybe projections and all the support that he was able to show that, hey, I have this uh, sponsor that will, will sign a document for you showing that, hey, we still want to work with him and so on. So it's not uh, solely on revenue. There, There's a lot of questions in the application form. So I'm not sure which specific one they would be looking at, but yeah, it's not built solely based on revenue or uh, clients or salary. I think they're just judging if, uh, okay, there's still a future for this uh, company. Right. So there's still some kind of checks and balances. It's not like, okay, you're now in the Netherlands to start your own thing. Go and start your own thing. But rather they need to have kind of some some objectives, some goals for you to... Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think it's kind of subjective in this regard. It's not uh, black and white that, hey, no salary? No. Or uh, you didn't reach 50,000 revenue? No. That's really, okay, you didn't reach it, but fine. Let's give you another chance. Yeah, it's, I guess it's case-to-case basis in that in that sense. Now, speaking about support, what kind of support did you actually did you guys actually get from the company and from the Dutch government, or did you guys get any support? Well, quite a lot actually. So, uh, with a VC that we worked with, so as I mentioned, they helped us out a lot in terms of getting the startup visa, and even when we had to uh, reapply for the entrepreneurship visa, they helped us uh, with the paperwork as well. And of course, the investment and all the support in terms of getting us entrenched into the startup community, to the networks, and so on. So we got a lot of those supports from the VC that we worked with. In terms of the government, this I think this is one thing that is quite different with the Philippine government, because as I mentioned, we're doing our startup there. The Dutch government is very, very, very helpful in terms of supporting entrepreneurs and startups. So even as a startup, there's a lot of subsidies you can get, a lot of support even in terms of uh, trying to connect you with uh, companies or possible investors. So they are really pushing for entrepreneurship and startups to succeed. So I think there's a lot. Even during this pandemic, for example... Even the local business agency where we are situated in contacted us. So we were contacting them. They contacted us out of nowhere just to tell us that, hey, we know you're a startup and this is a pandemic now. We have these programs to help out startups. They reached out to us, gave us what we can apply for and told us everything we needed to know. So they are proactive as well in doing this, which I can't imagine happening, let's say, in the Philippines. Wow. I mean, it, it sounds like the whole journey from you guys from, you know, coming from Singapore, starting your startup in the Netherlands and the help and the support that you're getting from the VC and the government itself is giving you guys kind, kind of like a, a smooth, a smooth transition, a smooth start, so to say. 
<laughs> yeah, I think in terms of all, at least all the paperwork, all the government and business side of stuff, we wouldn't have survived without all the help we got. So I think it's a very, very good system and a very helpful government in terms of this startup journey. And and you mentioned also that there's a quite like startup community there. Uh, what's the community like and, and how are they super helpful? How How has that been for you? Well, we started in Amsterdam. So in Amsterdam, obviously, the startup community is very vibrant. But in our Arnhem, where we are based at the moment, it's not as advanced. It's not as mature. While there are some events, it's very limited. And if you find these events, a lot of them would be in Dutch. So it's really more uh, about them knowing each other. But yeah, uh, it's not as vibrant. And But I think... One benefit of being based in the Netherlands and possibly most European countries is the public transport. It's not that difficult. Yeah, it's just a quick ride and we can still go to Amsterdam if there's an event there that you want to attend. Or because we're situated in Arnhem, they can even go to Germany because it's right at border to attend events there. Yeah, so you spoke about... A, a bit about you know how the language might play an, an issue in terms of like the startup community and being integrated with the startup community. But what has been like your biggest challenges right now as a company? You know, starting up in the Netherlands. So uh, I mentioned the Dutch the language. So obviously the Dutch speak English very well and uh, most Europeans. Uh, but obviously this is the language they use to assist you to accommodate you. So off the clock, for example, they would prefer not to expend energy trying to speak in English. So, but off the clock is also business time in terms of networking and getting all these connections. So it's quite difficult during these times to make the this work because obviously uh, they would want to try to put their guards down and just speak normally as they would at home. So they will tend to gravitate towards other people who speak their language. And yeah, I think networking events and social events happen uh, during this business uh, conferences, for example. We usually end up at what we call the immigrant table (laughs) because these are the people who would speak English and have no problem speaking in English because otherwise they would have no one to talk to. But yeah, that's a big uh, issue uh, in terms of uh, networking. But do you guys face other issues besides the language in general? Well, obviously the network part, because we aren't really part of this community and part of this network. So uh, a lot of similar startups that we've met are uh, at the same stage as us. So they would have contacts from their universities that could connect them to these people and these people, or they work with this big company, this chemical company, this factory that they can now uh, use to leverage to get warm introductions to other uh, contacts. But for our end, we can only rely on attending events, conferences, and so on to build our own network. So we're essentially starting from scratch in terms of building the network, which for a startup is possibly the number one thing you need to have is the network. So it's that's the difficult part for us. And in terms of uh, getting meetings and getting the seat at the table, as they say, it's quite difficult as a, an outsider in terms of uh, doing this. Uh, because, yeah, you really don't know how. I mean, it's more of a culture thing as well. 
me and my co-founder, we have this, what we call the Asian genes, or specifically a uh, Filipino-ness, wherein we are sometimes too meek when we have these conversations. And I think the Dutch are quite proud of their Dutchness. I think during the first week that we uh, came here, almost all the Dutch people we talked to, they always warned us that, hey, we're not being rude. Or don't take it personally when we do this and this and this. This is just us being Dutch. So they are quite frank and open when they criticize and when they get feedback. So I think that is counter to our Asianness. Where we, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, fine. No, I think that's also culturally what we had to get over in order to at least yeah stand toe to toe with other startups here. Obviously, there's, there's different work cultures around the world, but the Dutch have this very specific attribute that they themselves are proud of. And it's about being direct. And because I lived in the Netherlands, I also saw this, like how direct people would be. And I guess that translates also to the business side. So I'm not, I'm not shocked that you guys actually found this <laughs> difficult to handle. And how, how have you guys like transformed into more direct people actually? And actually, are you guys learning Dutch? We tried to. <laughs> so we took a course to learn Dutch and, of course, uh, tried to do Duolingo every so often. But, yeah, we still can't pronounce their Gs. The huh, sounds still are still uh, not very good at it. And, yeah, what we learned from Dutch is just korting. <laughs> oh, the most important word, which means discount. Which means discount. Yeah, the, the Dutch G is hard. It's like gezellig. And actually, it's also, I thought it would be a benefit uh, that it's quite similar to German and them having some roots that might be similar uh, with English, but it actually makes it more difficult <laughs> because they're too similar with German that sometimes you see this word and you think it's a German word, but it's a Dutch word. And it means something different. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's called like false friends, I think. When you, when you see something, you recognize it. But it's actually totally different from what, mm -hmm. what you recognize. Yeah. <laughs> so we spoke a little bit about, you know, the, the issues that you guys have been facing, which was maybe like the directness in terms of the, the work culture, but at the same time, the language. Is it actually a limitation or a, or a hindrance that you guys are based in a small city like Arnhem? So what, from my understanding, like Arnhem is, is like a few hours away from Amsterdam, but it's actually right across the German border. And it's one part of the Netherlands that I've never visited yet. So what's it like actually having a company there? Yeah, so as I mentioned, the only thing that I think we're missing is really the community, the vibrant event-based community that you can find in a major city. Because every so often, of course, we want to network, but we can't do it in Arnhem because there's very limited chance to do it there. So I think that's the only thing we're missing. But Aside from that, I think it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, as I mentioned, most of our work is actually done outside of the office. So we go to uh, our clients' factories, we meet up with them in their offices, and the only thing we really need to do on our office maybe do some work in terms of programming and some hardware development. Essentially, you can't do from anywhere. You can even do it at home if you want. It really doesn't matter where we're based. And actually... The benefit of being based in Arnhem is severely lowered our cost compared to when we were functioning out of Amsterdam, like I think almost by two thirds. 
So uh, the costs are low, and because it's a small city, uh, I mentioned earlier that there are agencies within the government that promotes their specific region for entrepreneurship and so on. So mm-hmm. because they are a small region and they are trying to be a vibrant startup community as well. So there are more subsidies available because not a lot of people is vying for the same spot. So I think that's a benefit of being based in this small city. Now that you put it that way, that's a really good benefit, actually. And I think more companies should look at smaller cities to start their business, especially now during Corona, that it doesn't really matter because like these events that would normally happen all the time don't happen or just happen virtually. But yeah, speaking about Corona, um, how are you guys actually faring um, with the whole pandemic? Well, we're surviving. <laughs> I think uh, the Corona just forced us into uh, developments that we were planning supposedly one, two years down the line. Because as I mentioned earlier as well, uh, originally well, what we usually do is we go to the client's facilities, we install there, we have our meetings there, but because we need to install hardware and so on, we had to meet face-to-face. But because the pandemic uh, made that impossible to fly out, to meet people personally, we had to move into a more uh, plug-and-play direction, which we were planning to do eventually. But we wanted to do it when we were more ready. But since we didn't have a choice now, we accelerated that development, and I think we were fairly successful in doing it at least. So it was... It forced us to accelerate our uh, development growth and forced us to focus because since before uh, we had to juggle, let's say, four or five new installations uh, at the same time. So we barely have time to focus on, hey, let's develop this further or let's iron this out before we release it and uh, all these internal developments. But because we only had to support the companies that you've already started working with prior to the pandemic. We couldn't take in new clients. We had this time to, okay, let's refocus. Let's do this development. Let's see if this something, this thing would work first because we don't have a choice. We don't have anything else to do on that client-facing side. So let's iron things out internally. And yeah, I think that worked uh, for us to make the product better and come out of 2020 into 2021, hopefully more prepared and stronger than ever. In terms of development and your product, you guys are focusing on your product. You guys are working on development, not so much on, on acquiring new new customers, um, but you guys also have, you know, you guys have an, an office now and everything. In terms of like your, you know, your team, are you guys also like growing your, your team? Last year, we didn't grow our team. We are still just a company of five so obviously during the 2020, everything was up in the air and we were trying to feel things out. So it was quite difficult to make uh, big changes. But so we delayed all the growth that we were planning to at uh, 2021, which hopefully things will start going back to normal. So uh, in terms of growth, yeah, 2020, I think would be a lost year. <laughs> it's everything was kind of stagnant. Just let's just survive through this year and let's hold off all the growth and acceleration we want for 2021. So 2021, we'll do the fundraising and the manufacturing and growing the team. All right. So I think you guys have like a whole plan now and for the future to kind of make up for 2020, which I think is actually normal. And a lot of companies are doing the same because like 2020 is just, it's a lost, like you said, it's a lost year. It's a lost 
because there's nothing we can do about it anymore, but we have to prepare for the future. And you guys have a roadmap already laid out for you. And how is that in terms of like the expectations of, you know, your VC expectations of the Dutch government? Do they have higher expectations after the pandemic or it's pretty much the same? Well, I think in terms of uh, expectation, uh, yeah, they have bigger expectations out of uh, startups uh, and uh, VCs as well. So I think they understand that 2020 was essentially just trying to make sure everyone was okay. That was their stance there that they weren't pushing for anything. Okay, we don't do any of the sales. Because prior to 2020, uh, prior to the pandemic, actually, this was one contention we were constantly having with our VCs. We were trying to focus on uh, product development while they were already trying to push to do more sales. So I think this was a big contention we were constantly having with them that, no, mm-hmm. we want to have the product prepared first before we do sales, but they were, no, let's do the sales now. So this was a constant uh, discussion. But 2020, we didn't have this discussion. They understand that, yeah, okay, I know you can't do sales now. So just continue what you're doing. We'll just check up on you every so often. But 2021, it's back to that conversation now that, okay, so when will you have this MRR? Do you have a salesperson now? Where are you planning to expand next? And so on. So they're back to their old growth uh, mindset. Eventually, they have to get their like return on investment on you guys. Uh, and I guess that's normal. But you know, at least you have that, that one year to really work on your product, make it better, make it more competitive, and you know, maybe rethink your previous plans. Going back a bit to you know working in the Netherlands, getting your visa and whatever, because from my understanding also is that you know other countries, especially in Europe, all have this like entrepreneur visa that they try to get you know founders from abroad into their country and start their their business there. With everything that's happened and everything, um, like the support that you got, are are you are you guys like overall satisfied with the support that you got? And would you actually? Now, thinking about it, when before you made that decision to come to the Netherlands, would you actually have looked at um, other countries and considered other countries? There were other countries that were that had offers similar to what we got in the Netherlands. So, uh, off the top of my head, uh, very analog, uh, similar offers were uh, from the US, Australia, and Taiwan. So essentially, they had this: uh, we'll help you with your setting up your company here will give you an investment and so on. So very similar uh, kind of setup. But I think the one thing that separated the Dutch uh, offer was their sheer efficiency. Like, as I mentioned, within a few weeks, everything was settled. And for example, the U.S. offer, I think they weren't quite uh, prepared or don't know how to handle foreign-born startups yet, that whenever we ask that, hey, we don't have U.S. visa, would you be able to help us in this regard? No. Do that on your own. But yeah, go here just for a second meeting, which is no. (laughs) If there's no offer yet on the table, we don't want to apply for all this visa and uh, fly there just for the possibility of something. And even the timelines they gave that no, if you understand how we get our visas here in the Philippines for a U.S. visa, 
your one week timeline wouldn't be possible in the slightest. So that type of uh, uh, issues, uh, they are not really prepared and they don't know the their audience essentially. The other offer, so for example, the Australian ones and the Taiwanese one. So the Taiwan uh, offer, I think they were also in the very early stages of it, that they also don't know what to do with foreign-based uh, uh, companies yet. A lot of the paperwork, a lot of the forms that you have to accomplish were in Chinese, for example, that you will need someone. You are If you are targeting foreign-born and foreign uh, companies, why are the documents not translated for them? So I think that's something that they weren't uh, prepared yet at the moment. So you had to work with local uh, companies just to have stuff prepared. And yeah, it's really just the efficiency and maybe the maturity of the Dutch entrepreneur program. We've seen this case before. We already know what to do. We have the right people. We can do it quickly. So I think that's really what set them apart. So I guess you guys really found your place. You found the right country, the right company to help you guys. And you guys have your work cut out for you um, for 2021. And I think you guys are doing a wonderful job. And your story is very, very inspiring also to me as a Filipino. You know, when I was back in the Philippines, I've dreamt of one day, you know, founding my own company or whatever. But now I'm I'm here in Europe and, and working and maybe life took me in another direction. I'm still super happy, but um, it's it's not a, a typical case that you find, you know, Filipino entrepreneurs, especially starting a company, not in the US, but actually in Europe. So I think that's what makes your story so, so different. So now this being said, and everything that, that you and Pao told me, I guess what I want to know from you is that if you had any um, tips that you can give, you know, young entrepreneurs in the Philippines, maybe, you know, you have some of your students from high school in back in the Philippines listening to this podcast and they want to you know pursue a career in entrepreneurship. What kind of what kind of tips would you give them? So one thing that I think this is the most recent event myself I'm trying to learn is to uh take control of the imposter syndrome. Because I think as I mentioned this is the innate Asianness in us wherein we defer to experts in the field, we defer to the elders that, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. But I found out that, yes, everyone doesn't, (laughs) no one knows what they're doing. (laughs) What we're doing right now, we're in this space, we are the experts in this field. We have to accept that, that we are experts in the field that we're doing. Don't be too meek about it. Don't be too shy about it. If you know what you're doing, even if you're talking to a 50-year-old PhD with all this from an Ivy League <laughs> university, don't, I don't know, hide yourself. Okay, just yeah, everyone doesn't know what they're they don't know what they're saying, they don't know what they're doing, they're just trying to feel their way around, same as you. So just make sure that you try to control this uh imposter syndrome. Don't feel that you know less or you know they know something that you don't. I think that's one thing that I'm trying to control as well. And I think it's quite important for, uh, especially as I mentioned, uh, from developing countries, because I think we have this mentality that the Western, the Europeans, the Americans, that they will be more advanced in terms of what they know, what they learned. But we have the skills to go toe-to-toe with them. We have the knowledge. And me, sometimes, or a lot of times, I found 
we can do a lot of things better than they would at a fraction of the cost, a fraction of the time. So we shouldn't be shying away from shining. <laughs> that's that's really good advice that, you know, even I, before coming here, I always had this perception also about Europeans in general or, you know, Western people that we are kind of like inferior. But actually, when you come here and you start working, you start meeting other people, we're all, we're all just the same. And, and like you said, the one big difference is that we can do it at a fraction of a cost. But yeah, so Emmanuel, thank you so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure speaking to you and good luck with your company. Yeah, maybe when you guys become a big company, we'll, we'll have an opportunity again to talk to you guys and you guys can share with us your path to success. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pop Your Cultural Cherry. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast streaming platforms. To be updated with our latest episodes, don't forget to give us a like and a follow on our Facebook page and our Instagram account. 